Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Most books in the New Testament of the Bible are what we call epistles, which is a fancy name for letters. And the verses that I just read from 2 Corinthians 9 are part of a letter that the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early Christian church, wrote to a small community of Christians living in the town of Corinth, Greece, in the mid-first century, probably 25 or 30 years after Jesus. In other words, when we read these epistles, we're essentially reading someone else's mail which means there's a lot of context missing, and it can be hard to understand at times. Paul had spent time with these Christians in Corinth. In fact, he brought the gospel to them in the first place. But while he was away visiting other Christian communities around the region, he wrote letters to maintain his connection with them. Now, who knows how many letters Paul may have written to the Corinthians. Today, we have copies of just two of them, this being the second. Now, this is no ordinary letter. It's nearly 5,000 words. So, if you sat down and tried to copy Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, it would be about 20 pages. So, it's no surprise that in his verbosity, Paul covers a wide range of subjects. Sin and righteousness, the Holy Spirit, reconciliation, the resurrection, the new covenant, suffering and comfort, and many more. But this morning, we read the end of chapter 9. And in chapters 8 and 9 of this letter, Paul's focus is their stewardship campaign. Well, Here we are. That's this Sunday at Fairmont, too. I told you, Gratitude Sunday is the day more than any other Sunday all year that we focus on the financial future of our church. And so if you're visiting Fairmont for the first time today, please know that I don't do this every Sunday. (laughs) But this year, I'm going to follow Paul's lead as I ask you to consider making a pledge to Fairmont for 2024. In these two chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul pulls out all the stops to encourage the Corinthians to give generously. By my count, Paul uses eight different fundraising approaches. I'm going to briefly outline his many and varied appeals, first using Paul's own words to the Corinthians, and then adapting them for our context here at Fairmount, which you could think of as my epistle to you. Now, I'll be honest. I think that some of Paul's fundraising tactics are a little questionable. But we'll chalk it up to his zealousness for the Lord and his deep desire to raise money to continue growing the church. And so I hope you'll offer me the same benefit of the doubt. Here we go. Number one, Paul says, give because the church down the street is already doing it. From the outset, Paul seems intent on creating a little healthy competition. In chapter 8, beginning at verse 3, he writes, I assure you that the Macedonian church gave what they could afford, and even more than they could afford, and they did it voluntarily. They urgently begged us for the privilege of sharing. 
Now, Paul once used the Corinthians as an example to inspire the Macedonians to give more generously, but now it's the other way around. It's not as if he's uh, motivating them by uh, telling them that they're part of something bigger, this bigger church movement. Really, he's just kind of taunting them, telling them that they're being outdone. And so, Fairmounters, all I'm saying is that I heard a rumor that St. Paul's across the street says they're going to raise more money than us. (laughs) Number two, Paul says, do it for me. Now, his second tactic is a little more subtle. In verse 7, he writes, be the best in this work of grace, in the same way that you're the best in everything, such as faith, speech, knowledge, total commitment, and the love that we inspired in you. The we towards the end of that verse is critical. This is a subtle reminder to the Corinthians of everything that Paul and his team have done for them up to this point. So speaking on behalf of the staff here at Fairmount, none of us do this work to get rich, I promise. But at the same time, we appreciate being fairly compensated for the work that we do here. And we are grateful for your generosity that provides us this opportunity to serve you and our church and our neighbors. Number three, Paul promises that those who give will be rewarded. Writing, the one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. And the one who sows a large number of seeds will also reap a generous crop. And he writes, you will be be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous in every way. Now, I think it's doubtful that Paul meant that they'd receive actual prizes, like he was conducting an NPR drive, like if you give $10, you'll get a WWJD bracelet, but if you give $20, you'll get a Jesus t-shirt. I also don't believe that Paul intended this as a sort of prosperity gospel pitch, He wasn't suggesting that God would offer them an 8 or 9% return on their investment. No, I think the rewards that Paul is alluding to are intangible. They're spiritual. And for what it's worth, one modern scientific study after another has demonstrated that being generous actually has a measurable positive impact on our mental and emotional and physical health. So, Fairmounters, I encourage you to give generously, trusting that you will receive in return far more than whatever you give. Number four, Paul employs a little classic guilt and shame. First, a little religious guilt. Chapter 8, verse 3, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes so that you could be rich through his poverty. And second, he plays on that sense of competition to hold a little social shame and embarrassment over the Corinthians' heads. Chapter 9, verse 4, he writes, If some Macedonians should come with me and find out that you aren't ready to give, we, not to mention you, would be embarrassed. Look, we Presbyterians, sadly, aren't very good at the whole guilt and shame thing, so I'll spare you this one. Well, maybe I could just say one thing. Jesus loves you, 
don't you love him enough to pledge? (laughs) Number five, Paul figures that if guilt and shame fail, then flattery will do the job. He opens chapter 9 saying, It's unnecessary for me to write to you about this service for God's people. I know about your willingness to help. I brag about you to the Macedonians, saying, Greece has been ready since last year, and your enthusiasm has motivated most of them. Look, most of us don't want to readily admit that one reason we give our money or our time to the church or to other community organizations is that we like our contributions to be recognized and valued as important. But it's the truth. I just told you a few moments ago that studies show that we receive internal benefits when we give. So there's no shame in enjoying these rewards for our generosity. And so allow me to remind you that I am deeply grateful for each and every one of you. Your pledges and your generous gifts make this vibrant ministry that we're doing here at Fairmount possible. And beyond that, they give hope for the future of our church and our community. So thank you. On to number six. Paul invites the Corinthians to take a walk down memory lane, giving them an opportunity to reflect for self-motivation by reminding them that this was their idea in the first place. He writes, I'm giving you my opinion about this. It's to your advantage to do this, since you not only started to do it last year, but you wanted to do it too. Now, finish the job as well so that you can finish with as much enthusiasm as you started. In a sense, Paul is inviting them to think back and remember their own reasons for joining the church. Why is this important to you? He asks them. Why do you give? So I ask you the same questions, fermenters. Why are you here this morning? What first drew you to this church? What keeps you here? What are your hopes for the next generation at Fairmount? And ultimately, what are your reasons for giving? Number seven, Paul touts his fiscal responsibility with their gifts. Towards the end of chapter eight, Paul gets into some of the logistics of taking up the collection. In part writing, we're trying to avoid being blamed by anyone for the way we take care of this large amount of money. We care about doing the right thing, not only in the Lord's eyes, but also in the eyes of other people. Paul wants the Corinthians to trust that he is a good steward of their gifts. Well, here at Fairmount, our finance committee does a great job of keeping us in order And we just received high marks on an outside financial audit. And from our councils to our session to our staff, I want you to know that we are extremely thoughtful and careful about how we spend the gifts that you give. We are under budget this year, and a big reason why is that I've managed to keep costs for private jets to zero this year. Now, if none of these seven appeals has moved you to give, that's all right, because Paul saved the best for last. In fact, I believe that Paul's eighth and final reason to give 
Ultimately, I believe it's the only one that really matters. So one last time, here's Paul. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service to God's people, it isn't only fully meeting their needs, but it's also multiplying in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. Others will give honor to God because of your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. They will also pray for you, and they will care deeply for you because of the outstanding grace that God has given you. Thank God for his gift that words can't describe. So what exactly is this eighth and final reason to give? It's simple. By being generous, we become catalysts for giving. We set off this chain reaction of gratitude and generosity. Our generosity produces gratitude in others. And in turn, their gratitude inspires them to be generous with others. And not only that, our generosity strengthens our connection with our neighbors. Each gift an opportunity to renew our relationship with neighbor. And on top of all of that, Paul says that our generosity is in and of itself an act of gratitude towards God. By being generous with what God has given us, we honor God. We worship God. We give thanks to God. And with each gift, we renew our relationship with God. Your generosity produces gratitude. Each gift, an opportunity to practice Sabbath, an opportunity to renew relationships with God and you and neighbor. Each gift we give is a gift to us. And so, thank God for his gift that words can't describe. This I deliver to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.